want to share something with you for a moment before I introduce our phenomenal speaker that's coming up. And I went to the taping of Hot in Cleveland on Friday night. And oh my God, what a joy. It was so much fun. And we were lucky enough to be, have VIP passes, so we got a chance to go back on the set afterward and meet the cast and talk to them and whatever. And they're all so open and phenomenal. And I, Betty White was sitting in a chair, and I went up to her and I said, thank you so much for everything you do in life and have done. And I said, you are so beautiful. You radiate beauty and love and peace and joy. And she looked me straight in the eye and she took my hand and she said, honey, I'm only a mirror of you. How true we are for everybody. And I thought, oh my God, oh my God. No wonder she is who she is and does what she does. She radiates it. And so does this person that we have for a speaker today. I thought it was a pretty good segue. Come on. Good, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> I love this man. This man is also one of those beautiful, phenomenal, resonating lights of God that is involved in so many things. He helps youth in, in Los Angeles. He is involved with so many things to uplift this world. And he does it in a phenomenal way. And it's my pleasure to introduce to you Reverend Kusla Pixie. <laughs> Up to Betty like me, huh? You can do it. I have faith. There we go. Well, I was talking to Andy before. And thought we might do two tunes. I'm just going to do one tune and some humor today. <laughs> and actually, the tune could be humorous as well. The invisible man took his girlfriend out on New Year's Eve. They were having a wonderful time. About halfway through the dinner, she looks at him and she says, I've got some bad news. He says, what? She says, I'm seeing someone. So this is a little song. This is the Five Precepts song. I've done it before, but I'd like to do it again. It, last year in, in May at a Theravada Buddhist temple in Anaheim, all the children got up and sang this song to me. And I thought, this is so cool. And what happened was their parents felt it was a perfect song for them to learn virtue and personal discipline. So they're using my song, and you can use it too if you like. I will practice not to take life. Practice not to take life. Practice not to take life. I will practice every day. Practice not to take stuff. Practice not to take stuff. Practice not to take stuff. I will practice every day. I will practice loving kindness. Practice loving kindness. 
practice loving kindness, I will practice every day. I will practice not to tell lies, practice not to tell lies, practice not to tell lies, I will practice every day. Practice not to get high, practice not to get high, practice not to get high, I will practice every day. All right. He did say practice, right? Just practice. Yeah, okay. Eventually it turns into performance, but it starts with practice. The Buddha said, well, he didn't say, but Buddhism says there are three kinds of perfect people in the world. First perfect person is the Buddha. He is a man or a woman who has rediscovered the path to perfection, was able to actualize it and then teach it. They say there's only one Buddha at a time on earth until his teachings die then the next Buddha will appear. There is something called the silent Buddha. This is a man or a woman who has become enlightened but doesn't quite know how or why and can't share it or explain it to anyone. They are called the silent Buddha. And then there's the Arahant. The Arahant is someone who hears the teachings of the Buddha, the Dharma, goes into practice. Ultimately, the practice turns into performance, and they achieve nirvana. The Buddha, the Pacheka Buddha, and the Arhant all have the same level of perfection. Now, I'm going to talk about working on perfection, and I'm going to use three examples today. In early Buddhism, the Theravada tradition, there are ten perfections that can be practiced and realized. They are generosity, virtue, renunciation, discernment, equanimity, patience, persistence, truth, determination, and goodwill. Now, it can take a lifetime or a couple to get all these perfections down and until then they are simply a practice and not a performance. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the how-to of practicing some of these perfections. The first perfection is generosity. Generosity is important because we have greed. Now, people ask me, do you give in order to make the lives of others better? I would say, as a Buddhist, we give to get rid of our greed. That our greed is substantial and deeply rooted, and it takes an awful lot of generosity to uproot that greed. It's a difficult proposition because we are selfish. And it's difficult to give things away and not get something in return. So sometimes people give because it makes them feel good. 
Sometimes people give because they think it is changing the world. Sometimes people give because it's the right thing to do. When I started the practice of generosity, it was difficult for me to give things away because they were my things. So I took an unconditional approach to my giving and I used vending machines as my method of operation. What I would do is I would buy something from a vending machine and leave the change behind in the coin slot, not knowing who would find it or what kind of impact it would have on their life. I soon came to understand through my own experience finding a quarter in the coin slot changed my life that day. I said to myself, this is my day. I found a quarter. I'm buying a lotto ticket. <laughs> I couldn't think of a lower denomination to change somebody's life. A quarter, ten cents, five cents. But somehow it became magical in their view. We have a Thai restaurant in our neighborhood. It's been there since the 80s, and I've been going there since the 80s. In the 90s, there was this old man who used to come in, and he was deaf and dumb, and he had these little trinkets, and he'd put them on your table as you're eating your Thai food. And he would ask for a donation, but because he was deaf and dumb, he didn't say anything. He just silently came up, placed it on your table. It made me so uncomfortable. It made me a little mad because I was hungry. I wasn't going to the Thai restaurant to give money away. I was going to the Thai restaurant to eat so I could stay alive another day. I was having their lunch special. I was trying to save money. And, <laughs> and I would look in his face and I would just have this sort of like thing about anger and why me and please don't bother me anymore. But I couldn't say anything. So he would pick it up, and every time I was there, he was there too. I continued to meditate, read the Dharma, acquire a little more wisdom, and finally I looked at him and I said to myself, this is my opportunity. This is my opportunity to give. What a blessing. He comes to my table. I don't even have to get up to give. I simply have to reach in my pocket. Now the dollar or two I gave him for his trinkets didn't change his life very much at all. But it started to change mine. I started to see how wonderful it is to share and give without attachments. A couple years after my first giving to him, all the feral cats started to show up. <laughs> and they would come to the backyard, and they would have this meeting about how to approach me. <laughs> and I started to give them food, just a little, just a little, but, but then more came, the word was out, and I started to spend $50 a month, $100 a month, 
I had wet food, I had dry food, I fed them twice a day. They were my friends. <laughs> and not once did they say thank you. <laughs> After they ate their fill, they would simply walk away and defecate. <laughs> so then I got to clean up the used food and throw it away. Now that man is still there. He still comes to the Thai restaurant and now there's another old guy sitting outside the door in a chair with a broomstick filled with balloons. He's my latest victim. I go to him and I give him a dollar or two and I've never seen such a big smile. Old people appreciate this stuff I think more than young people. Young people expect it. Old people are surprised because they've seen it. They've seen the good and they've seen the bad. So now when the, when the guy comes in who's deaf and dumb, putting his trinkets on the table, I get out, out of my chair and I approach him, sometimes too quickly because he gets a little scared, but I can hardly wait to give him the $2 because I know my day will be so much better because he was in it. I know I'll receive many more gifts because of the little gift I've given. I know my life will be profoundly full because I've given a dollar or two to someone who may or may not have needed it, but I needed to get rid of my greed. The practice of generosity is the first perfection. It is one of the most important. And there is something called Dharma Dana, giving the talk of the Dharma, speaking the Buddha's words. This is the highest form of giving. I am so lucky to be invited here to practice generosity, to share with you what the Buddha said. Now, not everyone would or could or wants to do what I do, but you don't have to speak the teachings of the Buddha in order to be generous in that way. You can support a Buddhist temple or church. You can volunteer to be helpful. You can volunteer to make other people's lives through that religion you are practicing. And you don't have to say a word. You just have to show up. That's it. So this is such a wonderful practice to start. We get to do it every day. And ultimately that practice of perfection turns into performance. There's another kind of giving which I was surprised to hear about. It is the giving of the precepts. Not that you give precepts to others, but you take the precepts yourself for others as a way of giving. It's one of the best gifts you could give to anyone in your life. The precept song talks about the precepts. I'm going to give the person who lives next door a gift. I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to steal from them. I'm not going to involve myself in sexual misconduct with them. I'm not going to lie to them. I'm not going to get drunk with them. I'm going to give them my practice as a gift to allow them to see that harmony is possible in this world of ours. If every human, Buddhist or otherwise, simply practice those five precepts, that personal discipline, that virtue, 
this world will be so much more comfortable than it is today. So the next perfection is virtue. The next perfection is morality. We get to practice the precepts to give that to the world. It isn't a penalty. People think that the precepts are a penalty. That you're telling me what I can't do, not what I can do. Now, a couple weeks ago, there was a controversial movie about killing a North Korean prime minister, and everybody was uptight about the idea of not being allowed to have freedom of speech. And I thought to myself, after reading some articles on the internet and watching television news programs about that, if my free speech depends on a third-rate comedy, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm in trouble. That sometimes what you don't say is more important than what you do say. That this idea of wisdom and clarity and compassion combined in what you do, what you think, and what you say allows this world to be just a little better place than it is right now. We can go in that direction. We can choose with clarity and compassion what we want to watch. Is it going to be beneficial to us? Because everything we stick inside this head of ours will be there forever. This stuff doesn't go away. The good movies, the bad movies, the mediocre movies, they're in there. I sometimes reflect in moments of meditation about something I watched 10 years ago that was ludicrous and ridiculous, and I'm thinking, why is it coming up now? Because it wants to get out of my head and can't. <laughs> it's stuck. So our virtue, our discipline is a wonderful practice, not only for us, because it makes our life so much better, but for everybody around us. Now, some people don't like Facebook. I've heard that. I like Facebook. I was talking to my brother just the other day. He says, I'm not going to go on Facebook. I don't want to defriend anybody, especially my relatives. How do you defriend a relative? I said, you don't. You just ignore them. <laughs> Another person who's on Facebook with me said, I have an interesting life, but not a good life. How do you feel about that? These are some of the little Facebook communications that go on once in a while. I said to him back, if I had to choose between an interesting life and a good life, I would always choose an interesting life. Sometimes people with good lives try to make their life interesting, and they end up in jail. <laughs> the third perfection I like to talk about today is renunciation. People cringe when they hear that word. Oh no, now you're going to ask me to give stuff up. You know, I've been trying to clean my room for 20 years. And I have these boxes of just stuff that have been sitting around gathering dust. I take them out, throw them in the trash bin, 
And that day, I get a box of more stuff from somebody in Pennsylvania saying, I thought you'd like this stuff. And it was good stuff. There was soap and toothpaste and deodorant and all things I could use and need. But I'm thinking to myself, how cruel is this world of ours? <laughs> you just can't give it away anymore. There's too much stuff in this world. So renunciation is not about giving up stuff. It's about giving up your attachment to stuff. But really not even stuff, it's giving up your attachment to your sense doors. Now we have these five sense doors. We have the eye and the ear, the nose, the tongue, and the touch. So we can taste and we can feel, we can hear, we can see, we can smell. And these like little tentacles that go out into the world around us and attach and grab onto the pleasant and push away the unpleasant. And these things create two kinds of desire. One is a positive desire of attachment. One is a neg negative desire of aversion. So we're clinging and pushing, clinging and pushing. The Buddha said we need to renounce this attachment to the sense doors. And I thought to myself, how the heck do you get to a place where your sense doors aren't working and you're not dead? <laughs> so I thought about meditation. And I thought meditation may be the answer. That if we go into our deep states of meditation, our sense doors close. Literally, they close. We are no longer able to see things or hear things or smell things or touch things or taste things. We have now gone to a completely internal reality. And so as I do my meditation practice and have done it for the last 30 years or so, it took me a while to get to that place for, my, for the sense doors to close. And I was testing it out. I wanted to test out the truth of what the Buddha said. And the Buddha gave me permission to do that in a sutra that he said, don't believe it just because I said it. Don't believe it because the elders say it's true. Don't believe it because you read it someplace. Believe it because you put it into your own practice and it worked for you. So what happens when you lose your attachment to that sense door stimulus? Is it pleasant, unpleasant? Does it feel like nothing at all? Well, if you go into something called the Vasudhi Magga, the Path of Purification, which is a meditation manual around, created in about the 5th century by a monk named Buddha Gosha, he goes into great detail about what happens. He says we have, in our meditation practice, applied thought, sustained thought, happiness, bliss, and equanimity. These are the five characteristics of the first state of jhana or deep meditation. As we go deeper and deeper, we get rid of applied thought and sustained thought, and now our mind simply rests on the object of meditation with a greater sense of physical pleasure, a greater sense of happiness in the mind, and a greater sense of equanimity or balance. As we go deeper and deeper into our meditation practice, what we find is we now lose the pleasure, the bliss of the body. And I know this sounds like a real bummer to lose the bliss of the body, 
But you know what happens when you lose the bliss of the body? You lose the pain of the body as well, which isn't quite as bad. So no pleasure, no pain. It's a good trade-off. You go deeper and deeper into your meditation practice, and now you come up to happiness. Happiness is always good, but the other side of happiness is sadness. They travel together. You can't take one and not have the other. So when you give up your attachment to happiness, you give up your attachment to pleasure, you're giving up your aversion to pain and your aversion to sadness. And now you're left with one characteristic only. That characteristic is equanimity, perfect balance, non-attachment, choiceless awareness. When that happens, you realize the bliss, momentarily, of enlightenment, the bliss of nirvana. It is an amazing experience that cannot be replicated or duplicated in the world because the world is filled with good and bad constantly changing all the time. The world is filled with much pain and much pleasure. It's filled with birth and death it is a really difficult place to be for any length of time. I'll be 66 this coming April. I've been around now for a while, and you know what? The world hasn't gotten better at all. The only thing better about the world is I'm less attached to it. Because of my practice, the practice of the perfection of renunciation renouncing attachment, renouncing aversion, bringing you to a place of balance. So these perfections are useful, these perfections are real. It is something you can do every day on the freeway or in Vaughn's supermarket. Generosity, let somebody cut in front of you. Discipline, not yelling at the person who can't find their change. Renunciation, not being too attached to the outcome, but more impressed by the journey. These are things that are important if you want to be a perfect human being. And that is possible according to Buddhism. You'll never be Jesus, you'll never be God, but you'll be, in your own limited human way, as perfect as you can be. So that's the message I wanted to share with you on this new year, 2015. It's not shaping up to be any better than 2014, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> but now we have something we can do about it. We can go inside and find all the joy and happiness and pleasure and equanimity we want. I remember Reverend Maggie saying one time, happiness is an inside job. <laughs> but we keep looking outside for our happiness and now, if you go to the happiest place on earth, you might get the measles. <laughs> I think with that, I'm going to pull out my harmonica now. And maybe a little blues in the key of G. We'll get it started here. See how the mouth is doing today?
Thank you.